welcome to A Restless Soul. I'm your host, Liz. Today, we have another interview, and we will be chatting with Lisa May Francisco. Today's episode, we discuss all about inner child healing. So I wanted to have Lisa on because she specializes in inner child healing, and this is something that I had heard a lot thrown around, like inner child work, inner child healing. And for a while, I was like, I don't understand what this is. It sounds kind of weird, but I did start to dabble with it probably a little over a year ago is when I started. And it's crazy how much it really works. There's so much baggage that we've been carrying around since childhood that we don't even realize we're carrying. And when I was doing inner child work, what I found is in the moment, it could be a little triggering or just may feel like, I don't know why I even need to go back to these difficult memories or situations. But then a week or so later, I would feel so much more lighter. I would feel more at peace and I would feel like a little bit more like myself. So I think inner child work is an amazing thing to do. And if this is something that you're new to, you'll absolutely love this episode because Lisa breaks it down and she also gives really easy ways to bring inner child work into every day. It doesn't necessarily have to be this crazy drawn out healing experience if you don't want it to be. So anyways, I hope you enjoy this one. I think you will. And up next, I will go over the contest for the podcast and also some of my offerings. Enjoy. Hi. So I realized that I made a mistake, so I needed to come on really quickly and correct it. I have been promoting the wrong email address for the podcast contest. I know, I can't believe it. I don't know how my Virgo Rising missed it, but here we are. So the correct email is a restless soul podcast at gmail.com. And I will update all future show notes going forward. If you did send any proof or contest entries to the wrong email, please just forward it to the new one and I will make sure to get you counted for the contest. So sorry for the inconvenience and thank you so much for the support. It means the world to me. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to go over a few things with you guys. So first, I'm running a contest for the first few months of the podcast. And I also wanted to go over some of my offerings in case you are looking for extra support in some area of your life. Maybe something that I offer will be able to help you out. If you don't want to listen to any of these, no hard feelings. Feel free to fast forward straight to the episode, but I really appreciate it if you can stick around and listen to these updates. So for the contest, I will be drawing a winner on the 15th of February, 15th of March, and 15th of April, 2023. There are a few different prizes that I will be offering the winners, but just to give you a glimpse of what those prizes are, it could be books that I really found helpful during my growth journey, or a coaching session, or a reading with me. How you can enter is it's super simple. All you have to do is email screenshots and there are no limit on how many entries you can submit each month, but the entries just can't be duplicates. So take a screenshot showing that you are subscribed to the podcast, take a screenshot showing that you have left a review, or take a screenshot showing that you have shared an episode with a friend by screenshotting the text, DM, email, etc. 
and email all of those screenshots to a restless soul at gmail.com. That is in the show notes if you need to take a look at it. But basically, it's just the podcast name at gmail.com. Also, check out the show notes to subscribe to my email list. I do send out a free healing meditation every month, and that's also the best way to hear about any new offers or specials that I have. Let's get into some of the offerings. Of course, I am doing human design readings where we can really dive deep into your human design chart and help you feel confident in your human design journey. Living in accordance with your human design will really help you come into alignment and it'll also bring you to such a deep place of self-acceptance. I also offer a mini version of the readings. So if you're just looking to dip your toe in or have a very specific area in your chart that you'd like to focus on, Or these are also really great if there's someone in your life that you're looking for more insight. That could be a child, a parent, a partner, a coworker, a boss, etc. But this will also help you have a more harmonious relationship with that person and give you insight as to how you can best support that person. Another offering is energy readings. And these, I tap into your energy and pick up on any blockages and any messages that you need at this time. These can get pretty deep, so I do offer an upgraded version that comes with three integration sessions where in those we do either coaching or energy work. It's really tailored to what you need, but these will help you bring the messages into your everyday life. Something that I see too often is we can get a lot of different information from various sources, but if we're not actually applying that information and grounding that into our life, then honestly, it's really hard to get to the level of transformation that you've been seeking. The last thing that I'm offering is aura realignment sessions, and I absolutely love these. So these are energy healing sessions that we do over Zoom, and I actually go into your aura, comb through it, and find different blockages, harmful patterns, etc. And then we're able to pinpoint where the blockage actually originated. These are so powerful and healing. And I've been blown away by the progress some of my clients have made in just a few sessions. You can also always book a short complimentary consult if you're unsure which offering is right for you or just to make sure that we're a good fit. The link to book with me is in the show notes if you're interested. Thank you so much for listening to my spiel. And now let's get into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to A Restless Soul. We have a guest on today. Her name is Lisa May Francisco, and she is a self-love coach and inner child guide. Really excited to have her on today and to get to know her a little bit better. Her human design is a 5-1 sacral generator. And in Western astrology, she is a Cancer sun, Cancer rising, and an Aquarius moon like me. Um, But Lisa, before we hit record, you said that you actually go by Vedic astrology. So I'd love to hear about that a little bit more. Yeah, sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Lisa. Um, It was so funny as we were talking about this because Western, I'm double Cancerian. And then I don't even, I think it was what, Aquarius moon? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But so I went to go see a Vedic astrologer. I think in 2013, and I had never heard of Vedic before. And according to that type of astrology, I am double Gemini. So sun and rising in Gemini, and then my moon is in Capricorn. And that's the one that I've always been going uh, or aligning myself to just because I find that it just resonates so much with my ability to just have so many different ideas, kind of switching between the two and having too many. 
uh, and then having a really hard work ethic with Moon and Capricorn. I love that. Yeah, my astrologer actually mixes the two charts, and I find that Vedic has been really on point for my transits. But I also yeah. heard from other people that Vedic is really good at predicting life events. Is that something that has come up in your readings? Oh my gosh. Okay. So this is so funny. So when I tell this, people are going to be like, who the hell is your astrologer? So I remember when I went to my astrologer, I mean, obviously I would ask about love, right? And um, he had told me that I was going to be with a foreigner, would be in like academia or like research. Um, And that's basically my now partner. So uh, <laughs> you could either say it's like, oh, what a coincidence or like, oh, that was totally in the charts and in your reading. So, yeah. And then I was going to say that there was another time when I was taking the GRE, the GMATs for grad school and I had asked my astrologer, I said, oh, so when's the perfect time that I should actually take these tests? Like the most opportunistic time. And he gave me a time frame and it actually worked out. So I took the test outside of that time frame also. And then it turns out that the best score I had was in the time frame that he had suggested to me. That is so cool. That's been on my to-do list ever since I've heard a couple other people rave about a Vedic astrologer based in India. And I just haven't gotten around to it. So maybe this is a little nut. Dabble <laughs> in that astrology is such a maze. I love it. But anyway, so we'll just jump into more about you. I wasn't expecting to start off with a tangent, but I love it. So <laughs> yeah, so tell us a little bit about what exactly is a self-love coach and inner child guide and how you found yourself in this line of work. Yeah, sure. So it's sort of just been a really, really long journey. I've always just been a very, very spiritual person. And it kind of started when I was in it was in 2010 and I had just left an abusive relationship at the time. And I just remember really just going inward and asking myself, how did I even get to that point? And so, you know, ultimately what came out of that was that I just didn't love myself enough. Right. Um, so always kind of accepting crumbs or just not thinking that I was good enough or had self-worth for what I actually wanted. Uh, and then I eventually ended up getting sober and then going down this path of really honing into what my spirituality was and what that journey was like and self-awareness. And I had never heard of what the ego was, but so working with different spiritual teachers and having different practices and getting into meditation and journaling, which is something that I used to do when I was younger, but I didn't do until I was at that kind of crux in my life. And then you know, really focusing on the type of relationships I wanted to call in, whether it was in romance, work, family, friendships, and really assessing of who I wanted to surround myself with. And then it wasn't until, and I was living in New York at the time, and then um, I moved back to San Francisco where I'm from. And so in 2017, I ended up moving back in with my parents because I was going to grad school. And I just found myself getting re-traumatized and all of a sudden like memories that I had suppressed as a kid of what it was like living with them just started coming back to me. And then the, the answers to the question of like, Oh, this is why I am the way I am. This is why I had such self-esteem issues. This is why I had low self-worth. And so ultimately that kind of propelled me into this journey of working with 
a teacher, a mentor who really helped me with the idea of inner child work and reparenting. And then I found that through all the spiritual tools that I had learned that that was the most transformative and that I wanted to help other people with getting in touch with their true selves, with their little ones, you know? And so that just kind of prompted me into this journey of becoming a self-love coach and just guiding women to break down their generational relationship patterns. And I emphasize generational because a lot of the dynamics and frameworks that we learn about who we are comes from family. And so a lot of the work that I do with different clients and working with women is really focusing on that to understand the blueprint to change the narrative going forward. Wow. I can relate to so much of what you just said. I'm trying to... Okay. So I know where I want to start. You mentioned, I didn't love myself enough. And I think on the surface, a lot of us probably don't think that we hate ourselves. We're like, oh, yeah, I like myself. I'm confident. But then when you get called to inner work, that can actually maybe not be the case. So maybe what are some examples that you see in your clients? Yeah, just of kind of the pre-transformation, you would say, or like, what are, what are the kind of, I don't know, experiences that they come to me with? Yeah. What are they? Yeah. Yeah. I would say a lot of the time it is, like I mentioned, that low self-worth, right? So that's the underlying root, but then how does it manifest itself in experiences of everyday life? It can be attracting unavailable people. It can be um, staying in in toxic work situations. It can even be friends in one-sided relationships where people don't want to listen to your issues and conflicts, but then you often feel like you are the rescuer or the caretaker of friendship or just not being able to set boundaries with your family. But even if you are being able to do that, then maybe it's feeling guilty about setting those boundaries or compromising yourself. And so a lot of people-pleasing and perfectionism happens. And just, you know, like codependent relationships. Um, I could go on. <laughs> I think a lot of people will resonate. And low self-worth, I, once I started digging into manifestation more and more, that was definitely that missing link that I think a lot of the texts out there, or just the messaging we get about manifesting, it's missing that piece. Um, yeah, so low self-worth, that's, Definitely something that I've been exploring a lot the last few years. What has your process been to a acknowledge, okay, that's the root of the problem. And what have you been doing to help fill that hole that a lot of us have? Yeah. And so I would say that once I realized that just that low self-worth and esteem and confidence, what it came down to was not loving myself. And so I was actually reflecting on what is the first step and the first step to any type of like self-love, compassion, trust, or confidence, I think ultimately comes down to self-acceptance. Um, it means acceptance and, you know, not having any shame about who you are, accepting how your life is, not wanting to change it. And then from there, being able to cultivate love for yourself, because until you can actually accept all parts of you, and if there's always something that you want to change, then it's not in totality. And so it's a little bit different because, you know, as I mentioned, a lot of 
the narratives and conditioning that we received came from childhood or, you know, your caretakers or, you know, your parents or whomever you grew up with. And so the antidote to that is just learning to rewrite that narrative and reframe it and become the parent that you always wanted. And so those practices might even look like talking to yourself in a loving way. And, and, you know, like I'm working with different people right now and even those inner child work is such, I feel like it's a concept that's thrown out a lot, but not many people dive into it. And so it's, um, it's about learning how to reparent yourself in a way that you always wanted to. And that's the, the basic way of explaining it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for people who are new to reparenting themselves, what are some tips or words of encouragement you could give them to go down this path? Because I know when I was starting, it was it was just felt overwhelming. And honestly, a lot of trauma was coming back up. And that can make yeah. people want to shy away from it and just not go there. Keep that door shut. Yeah, for sure. And it may sound kind of woo-woo or just weird, right? Like people don't understand what does it mean to even talk to yourself, like your inner child or... And so the way that I kind of break it down is if you have a nephew or if you have a child around you, how would you speak to them, right? How would you speak to your nephew, your nieces if they had a bad day? Would you berate them? Would you judge them? No. If, if a baby came crying to you is just super upset and throwing tantrums, you would just wonder like, oh, what's going on with you? Why are you feeling this way? Did anything happen today? And even just how you'd speak to your friends, right? But there's something about when you speak to children, you're more compassionate. I guess it's because innately we understand that they don't have the cognitive capacity to process feelings the way we do. And so I think being able to have that compassion for a child and applying it to yourself is vital. And so, you know, it can even just be talking to yourself in that loving way with affirmations and even journaling it out. So writing your little one a little letter about, you know, asking them what's going on. And so building that connection. And so it's kind of like if you are when you're in the process of dating someone, how would you date yourself? So that's sort of the, the I guess, the, the process into breaking into this type of praxis. Yeah. And what if someone had parents who were really impatient or really critical? I know that can be really challenging because you're just like, okay, well, that's not how I was talked to as a child. Maybe you don't even know what that would look like if you had been. Yeah. But how can people start to separate themselves from how their parents treated them and rewrite a new story? Yeah. So I think the first part, like you mentioned, is sometimes it's critical too, right? You don't have a model of what it looks like. And so I remember growing up, my role model, my father role model was Danny Tanner from Full House. Like he just never got mad at Michelle or Stephanie or DJ. I was like, oh my God, he's his coolest dad. And so, I mean, even using books, sometimes people say books are bad or like TV's bad because they create fantasies. But if there are any type of people in your life who had 
healthy relationships with their parents or, you know, any characters on TV or in books that you admire, are there certain traits from them that you would love to embody in a parent? And so I think being able to use that as examples, even if you didn't directly have a healthy relationship with your caretakers, then I think that's a way to model that for sure. In your process of reparenting yourself, were you able to forgive your parents for the ways that they maybe fell short when you were growing up? Yeah. I mean, I lived with them for three years. So that was like, (laughs) that was really hard (laughs) as an adult. And I hadn't lived with them in over 10, yeah, 10 years, more than that when I came back and lived with them. And so that was really, really, really difficult. That was just, it was difficult. And I remember the first year just being really angry And I remember even my brother-in-law commenting on my anger and it's just giving yourself that time to grieve, right? Once you notice the dysfunction that happened, grieving the childhood that you didn't have, and that's okay. And knowing that those big feelings of anger are going to come up because they probably came up as a child, but I, you know, I suppressed them. So they kind of came out sideways and then, you know, allowing myself to have that anger the first year. But then eventually as time went on, the process to understand them more as people, not just my parents, but also that they had parents and they were children too. And so it's almost like they were passing on the dynamics that they had experienced as children. And so they didn't know any better either, right? And so the interesting thing is that when people dive into spirituality is that they're making this subconscious conscious choice of wanting to break those patterns, even though it is difficult, like you said, like some people just don't want to look at it, they just want to like shut the door because it's so, it can be so triggering. But at the same time, once you do, you get to create a new paradigm for yourself where you don't have to repeat those behaviors, where you can actually go into relationships any kind and say like, oh, trust yourself to know that you won't create the same dynamic that you experienced as a kid or that your children your future children won't experience that. It's a long process, but it takes a lot of patience and willingness and the courage to go through this. But I would definitely say my experience of healing with them happened even more so when I had nephews. And so seeing them with my nephews and seeing how loving and tender they were with them allowed me to see that they did have love in their hearts. And I may have experienced things as a child that might have been bigger than what I thought it was, even though it's still very true in my, you know, life and my experience of it. There are so many sides to human beings, including our parents, including ourselves, right? And so how do you not define someone by one trait that they have or one experience they gave you, but seeing them in their wholeness? That in... When we grow up, we're taught to see our parents on a pedestal and that they're all knowing and their word is gospel. But I love what you mentioned about starting to view them as human beings. Exactly. It's just having compassion, right? And And I hate how it's so cliche when people say, oh, they did the best they could. But it is true. But I think the thing that helps me the most is not that, but knowing that human beings are so complex and if someone for to define me on when they met me when I had a bad day or something like that's just not the whole picture of me like we're just so multifaceted and so it goes to the idea like what I talked about in the beginning of just 
self-acceptance and totality of like all parts of who we are. And so I think being able to extend that outward to other people is just so helpful as well. And, and especially when it comes to healing. Definitely. I love that. One thing that you had mentioned was part of loving yourself is accepting yourself. And that can be such a catch 22 because most people have goals or they ha- they're in a situation that they want to change or there's things about themselves that they feel that they could improve upon. And what I've been seeing is without that self-acceptance and self-love, you really can't have the great strides that you're looking for. Could you touch on that a little bit more and how people could start to maybe even forgive themselves? Yeah, I think it really goes back to what I talked about, right? The self-acceptance. Um, because if you're not able to forgive yourself, there's some sort of shame there of thinking that there is just low self-worth or there's something wrong with you, or you think you're defective or you want to change something. And it's so interesting because I was doing EMDR therapy. So it's a somatic type of therapy where you use like eye rapid movement and you process a lot of the emotions through your body. It's somatic practice. And I just remember that I really wanted to work through the shame I had of being with one of my exes. And I hadn't processed that. And it was coming out in my current relationship, right? I wasn't being able to open up as honestly or vulnerably. And so I realized, oh, there's a block there. There's still like some past subconscious, I don't know, belief that I have about myself that I'm just, I can't share all of me. And so I remember working on a specific memory with my EMDR therapist and it like ultimately what it came down to is just the shame that I felt for allowing myself to ever be in that relationship. And then I, and I mean, I was in that relationship in 2016. So I was like five years ago, but it still, I was still holding on to that. And I was able to move through it through the processing, through that work. And, and then it was only then that I could actually have the forgiveness from it, but it, it definitely took a lot of time and a lot of going inwards and understanding why I think a lot of it was the shame of like, how could you even be in a relationship with someone like that? So a lot of blame made me feel stupid, insecure, embarrassed, right? Embarrassed to tell anybody that I was in a relationship like that. So it's like, if I'm trying to cover the, that stuff up about myself, then it means I'm not accepting that you know, wanting to gloss over it. And I just remember telling people a while, like a long time ago saying, oh, I just don't even want to act like I was in that relationship, you know? And so it just means that I wasn't accepting of that experience and wanting to hide that part of myself. So I think definitely self-forgiveness, acceptance, and shame kind of go hand in hand for sure. Absolutely. Shame is something that I see come up a lot with my clients and that can be super deeply rooted. How can someone, cause I think shame can be really sneaky. What are some signs that maybe there's some underlying shame there that you may want to dig into? Yeah, I think, um, Brene Brown, she said it best where she said shame is, you know, I'm bad versus guilt is I did something bad. Um, and so shame is really about, how you feel about yourself. 
And that relates to low self-worth about the things that you did. And so it's like the decisions that you make that cause shame that make that reflect who you are as a person, whether or not you deserve certain things that you want. I think that's the difference between the two. And so when someone feels shame about something, like I mentioned, like even in my experience, wanting to hide from a certain experience, I'm just like, that did not happen. (laughs) Um, And I think uh, just someone not even wanting to revisit something. It's like sometimes people feel it because there's maybe an open wound, but if they're sharing it because of embarrassment, I think that's pretty telling as well. Yeah. And I find too, though, whenever people share things about themselves, that makes me find that they're relatable and I feel comforted in the ways that I can relate to them. But I've also found that there are certain experiences that I'm a little embarrassed of and would rather just not acknowledge. Um, once you started yeah. caring about this like bad relationship, how was that received? And what was the transformation you saw in yourself from being able to not hide that anymore? Yeah, I think for me, it's more of the more and it's kind of correlated, right? It's like the more I share of myself and the more that I'm willing to be seen the more I allow others to see themselves. Because like you said, when you are sharing more of yourself and other people come up to you and they're just like, my God, I relate. It just creates this resonance in the collective. And so ultimately opening your wounds, you're just showing your underbelly is less about you and more about how can other people relate to you so you can create this whole interconnection of healing. I think that once that I started sharing things, people will just offhandedly tell me, oh, me too, that happened. Or I can definitely like, it's painful how I relate, you know, so much. And I think that's just the confirmation and the affirmation that we all need to know that we're just not alone. Because sometimes we may think that we are, but we're totally not. So it's definitely important to just share all of you in the right time, not from a place of, you know, you're still in the wound, but from that place where you you are healing. Mm-hmm. A lot of my clients have been struggling with fears of being seen. And you're touching on that with what we just discussed and how that can be really rooted and connected to shame. Do you have any other practices or advice for people who are struggling with that, how they can start to move through it? I know for me personally, it's it's still ongoing, but yeah. it can take some time. Yeah, I love that you're talking about it. It was funny because I was in this share with women and we were talking about being seen and how that was one of our biggest wins of how we were all pushed forward through it. And that has come up for me so much, especially since I started this coaching business. I just started in June publicly. And, you know, this idea, and I thought like, okay, I'm great speaker. I do communications in my nine to five. This is easy, but there's something different when it comes to you sharing your personal stories. It's so easy to behind, like, to sit behind someone else and share their stories, but it's knowing that the risk of the more you share yourself, the higher proportion of rejection. <laughs> and that relates to abandonment, right? And this whole idea of lovableness, like, will they love me if I share this part of me that maybe I may still feel icky about? And so... I made a commitment to myself. I remember one of my girlfriends, she was really good at videos. 
And I told her, I just said, I can't do that. And people want these videos because on my Instagram, it's just these one dimensional photographs and these beautiful captions and like written content. And they want to see more of me in the 3D. Like, what is my energy? And I, I just couldn't do it. And so I just made a promise myself. I was like, all right, I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to do it. And then I got, you know, people started reaching out to me, old friends. And I was like, oh, it wasn't so scary. And then understanding more and more of why I was hiding behind it. And so if it's something that you're afraid of doing, you know, I have even accountability partners where we're all working on that. If like they're afraid to post a video for their work or, you know, they want to talk more in a meeting at work. And so it's always just like finding that support. First of all, like being open with the people that you feel safe with and then asking for that support and accountability because you want to actually change it, right? And so instead of wanting to hide who you are, but trying to change the narrative that you are worthy of being seen, it's safe to be seen. And so when I was doing a lot of that work and realizing in my own history of why I was so scared that I had to actually tell myself that it is safe to be seen. You won't be criticized if you're seen. Like, you know, because I was still running off of that old programming that I had when I was a kid. So that's for me, that's actually personally one of the ways that I've been able to to manage it. Hmm. I have a kind of a personal question. Do you have really critical parents? Because I did, and I'm seeing that connection between being seen. But, you know, most people don't even care about you enough as much as your parents did. I just bother to criticize you. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's a funny thing, right? Like ultimately we respond to the way that we think other people will size us up. But then at the same time, it's just, we're projecting our experiences of what we had when we were children. And so, I, I mean, I can definitely relate to you. If My parents were super critical. Um, that's like, that's what I equate my inner critic, that voice to my parents. I learned how to be me to myself by how they talked to me. And so a lot of that just really informed it. So if I felt like if I had, if I could just be the quiet child, the invisible child, then my father wouldn't be upset with me. And so it was like, if I wasn't seen then maybe I could just like fly under the radar. It wasn't because I was quiet, you know, by nature, but it was because it was nurtured. And so that's why it's so interesting. I'm like, I can go in so many different directions with this, but I'm like going to keep it to to this. But um, I think that's why it's so important to understand that when we feel those fears, a lot of it comes from our past and how do we not let it, take over our current circumstances and project it onto people that are just merely mirrors of it. And how do we use it as an opportunity to not self-sabotage and not let the fear and the visceral reactions kind of overtake us where we're stuck in that fight or flight, freeze, fawn response? Thank you for sharing that because it can be hard to talk about the more painful stuff, especially around childhood. So I appreciate you being vulnerable. Yeah, of course. Is that something common that you see with your clients that they had similar parenting styles that you had? Or is it a whole wide range? It's a whole wide range. But a lot of it, what it comes down to, I really see is 
like parents not being able to express their feelings, parents being super critical, parents not talking about things that happened, parents not having healthy, functional relationships. And that sets the example for what their children look out for. Really absent parents, whether it's like emotional or physical neglect and abandonment, that perpetuates this feeling of not enoughness. Mm-hmm. That's those are the common themes that I see. Mm-hmm. I resonate with a lot of people out there, and so I know we've touched a little bit on how this all ties into the type of relationships that we attract. Does your work? ever touch on attachment issues or anything like that or attachment theory? I try to shy away from that. A lot of people come to me if they have anxious attachment, just experiences with that. And I've had that too, but I ultimately think that you can, your attachment style changes when you're with different people. So obviously if you're anxious and you're with an avoidant one, you're going to get activated. But if you're anxious with a secure person, you're not going to get as activated and that person's going to validate why you need more reassurance as opposed to the avoidant one who, probably, who might gaslight you. But definitely some people come to me with that. But for me, it's really about how do we address those experiences you had as a child and how do you not project them into all areas of your life, whether it be work, family, friendships, or romance. I know you had mentioned journaling. What are some other fun ways that you like to connect with your inner child? Because that's a, like people hear the word inner child healing and it sounds so elusive and they may not even realize that they're already doing it. Yeah. So I think definitely it can just even be talking to yourself, right? So it can even be addressing yourself like, hey, little Lisa, I'll use myself as an example. Like, How are you doing today? Just acknowledging um, her in the morning saying hi to her. Um, I think that's something that's, that's can be a really simple practice. And so I mentioned before about, you know, just as you start to meet anybody new or develop a friendship or relationship, the way you get to know them is through conscious and like contact, frequent contact. And so just having that relationship where you are addressing them, acknowledging them, their feelings, that can be something easy as like writing letters or easy as looking at photos of yourself when you were a child. And then even thinking about what are the things that you used to like when you were younger and tapping into that of how you can bring more of that play into your life now. I love all those suggestions. This may be a weird question. So how are you able to differentiate if you're having a reaction to something How do you differentiate between this is being triggered because there's inner child wounding that I need to address or this is legitimately something that me as I am today is upset over? Yeah. So I, and this is my opinion. I think that majority of triggers happen from an unmet inner child need. So it may seem like in the present moment, but I learned this before. Somebody used to always say this to me, if you're hysterical, it's historical. And so, yeah, it is very true. It's like, if you're upset about it, something happened a long time ago that maybe you haven't even processed yet, or it was this, this emotional charge that you're feeling towards a specific event or someone talking to you in a certain way. I think that can definitely play into what happened in the past. And so Whenever someone comes to me about something they're super pissed off about or they're just really, really furious, I try and tap back. Like the first question I ask them 
And you can ask like your audience, like you can ask this for yourself is like, when did I first experience this emotion? Like first name it, right? Like I'm feeling frustrated right now, or I'm sad. I feel helpless, powerless. When did I first experience it? And then that's when you can start the inner child work. And so, for example, it's like saying, I don't know, you're really pissed one day. Like maybe, for example, your boyfriend doesn't show up on time to a restaurant. You're so freaking pissed. And then it's like, okay, maybe your dad didn't show up, uh, you know, like for you when you were little. It was inconsistent. And so being able to say like, oh, like, hey, little Lisa, I understand that you're so upset right now and that you know, your boyfriend isn't showing up on time and that it reminds me of how it was with your dad. But, you know, that experience doesn't have to be what is currently happening in the present moment. Like, I love you. It happened when you're really little. And so learning how to talk to yourself like that can really start the reparenting process, especially when you're triggered and trying to figure out what unmet need is, is like happening in real time. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. This might be a weird question again. Sometimes (laughs) when I work with people, I'll try to go back in time to figure out the origin of when something started. And people can get really frustrated when they they just can't remember. And I think that's a trauma response. Our brain will block out really Mm -hmm. painful things because it doesn't... Maybe we just don't feel safe enough yet to relive that. What are some tips or words of advice or encouragement that you have to someone who's feeling frustrated that they, they're not able to tap into those memories? Oh my goodness. Be patient with yourself. And the reason why I say, oh my goodness, in the beginning, not is because I had that experience, right? I just remember I was working with this meditation teacher when I was in New York and he would ask me about my childhood. And I just, I would just say, I don't know. Like, I don't know. It was like, I don't know why he's talking about this so much, you know, (laughs) it's like, why is it so important? (laughs) And then coming back home and living with them, I started, it's all started coming back to me, right? Like I told you, I was like the re-traumatization happened. And so it's like, I I truly believe in divine timing of having all the layers to the onion or peeling the layers of the onion when it's supposed to happen. And for whatever reason, I wasn't ready. I was until I was in my thirties to go back. Uh, and so it'll come when it's meant to might not even be when it's intended to, it might just be happening when you're on a walk or something, or when you listen to a song or when you smell something that just kind of brings a memory to the surface. And that's okay because you're, like you said, it was a trauma response. And so you as a person didn't feel safe to feel those feelings and process those emotions. And so you kind of wanted to categorize or like put it in a shelf somewhere. And so that's fine too. And just learning that it is a process, a lifetime process of healing these things and that, you know, it'll come up when it's meant to. I love that. All right. Well, we're getting close to the end. So maybe tell us how people can get in touch with you and what offerings you have right now. Yeah, sure. So people can find me on my website, lisamaycoaching.com. And I also have an Instagram. So that is lisamay.coaching. And right now I'm doing one-on-one coaching. So I have one month containers, three month containers, focusing on self-love and just helping women break their generational relationship patterns to cultivate more self-love through healing their inner child wounds 
And then I have these monthly self-love circles and each month has a different theme and I'll, it'll be happening December, January, February. So just check out my website and my Instagram for the information on when I release those details. Awesome. And to end, why don't you let us know one of your favorite spiritual or personal development tools that are supporting you right now? Ooh, okay. So I love pulling cards. Um, for me, well, I have like this ritual. <laughs> yeah, I have this ritual. So I started doing Kundalini again in the morning just to keep my spiritual pipes clean. So I do these Kriyas that address my ego and just having an open heart. And then I love to pull cards. So I'm really, I, I really, really have gotten into Jungian and depth psychology and also archetypes. And so there's this deck by Kim Kranz. It's her archetype deck. And I'm just absolutely in love with that. I don't know about what it is about our decks, but they always just speak to me in a way. There's just, it's like crazy divination messages. Um, and so that's the practice. Those are the two practices that I really lean on right now. I will have to check out that deck. That one keeps coming up into my ethers. A lot of people have been telling me about it. I've had a friend pull from it and yeah. an eye it. This is another sign. This is a sign. <laughs> yeah. Definitely get it. It's you won't regret it. It's amazing. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Lisa. I had such a nice time talking with you. And I think the listeners are really going to appreciate all the wisdom that you shared with us. Thank you so much. Of course. Thanks for having me. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye.